Everybody, welcome back to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And, you know, there's something happening right now, I think, in our families, in our relationships, in our society. And you guys have all heard me speak about, you know, prior to my accident, this is now 10 years ago, I was in this place of just smoldering discontent because I was living under the tyranny of they. Okay, if that makes sense. So, I was constantly trying to meet what they expected of me, trying to rise to the level of success that they had defined. How was I supposed to show up uh, at my family? What, what did my parents expect? And I, and I was trying to manage all of these things without ever slowing down and saying, who did Jesus create me to be? What did Christ create me to do? And how do I partner with the Father and ask for him to reveal his will in the world. And in that, I found that there's this place of incredible joy. There's a place of grace. There's a place of just showing up in situations that would make me angry and frustrated. And I knew when, I, when I'm when i angry and frustrated, you know, our actions source from how we feel about a situation. And I'll guarantee you, as a matter of fact, I won't care. I know I was not showing up as the best version of myself, not at all both with my wife, my kids, sometimes at work. And how do we change that? Because change can be really difficult. And, you know, something I've noticed, this is something I was concerned about during COVID, was that after COVID, there was going to be like this hangover, like like this trauma that a lot of us went through as we processed it. It was going to kind of sink in deep. And it was going to affect our satisfaction about life, our engagement at work, our sense of maybe anxiety and overwhelm. And recently I was sitting down with at a CEO forum and saw some recent stats that this, uh, over the last 12 months, every single one of those categories have gotten much worse. Some of them um, have doubled as far as people reporting, just not feeling good about life and work in the world that we live in. And you know what, here's the good news. There's a solution to that. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. So I asked uh, Dr. Tim Kimmel and Michael Tooker to come on today. Uh, they just wrote a book called Grace at Work, The Secret to Getting More from Your Job Than a Paycheck. And man, how would that sound that we're so connected to what we're doing during the day and what it means to us personally? It connects to someplace authentic within ourselves. We see what the work that we're doing, it relates to the work the Father's doing, whether you're working in a faith-based organization or not. And in that, you're just connecting the dots in a way that everything in your life just gets a little bit gooder, right? If we could just do a little like a plus one, yeah. wouldn't that feel good? But anyway, uh, Tim, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having us on, John. We appreciate uh, joining you on the Eternal Leadership Podcast today. Big time. Well, it's so great to have you here. You guys both have incredible resumes. And if I read two of them, it would uh, we'd be here for a while. Here's what I'd love to do, though. Uh, Tim, if you... Share a little bit about your background, and then Mike will have yeah. you share your background. Then I uh, I want to dive in. I got some questions for y'all. Yeah, after I graduated from uh, seminary and went into ministry, uh, God just really put a burden on my heart for the dynamics of family and the relationship between husbands and wives, parents, their kids, grandparents, and their grandkids. And I felt there was a missing ingredient in so many of the Christian families that I dealt with, and it was God's active grace playing out in those relationships. And so I started looking into this. And by the way, a lot of it came 
out of my own, uh, my, my wife and I's uh, own desire when we found out we were going to be parents. We, we knew we'd never done this before. We don't want to mess this up too much. But there was just something that needed to be more there. And so God laid it on, a burden on me to look into the Word and to see how basically He treats us as a parent. You know, God the Father is how He deals with us. And I did not confine my study to just those handful of verses about parent-child relationships. I used the whole narrative of the Bible. And I found out that the word that best described how God deals with his children is grace. And I said, is there a way to quantify this? Is there ways that we could put handles on this so my wife and I could do the same for our kids and, and with each other? And sure enough, it just popped out of there right off the page of the Bibles. And so in quantifying it, codifying it, God just uh, put his hand on this uh, message. And it's gone over all over the world now over these past 40 years as uh, grace-based, grace-filled families. How to be a family or marriage that is guided by God's truth, all the while tempered by His grace. Well, I love that, Tim. And, and Michael, before I pull you in, i got to share with you guys a story. I'll, I will never forget this. Rewind back to 1994. I was in the, the Navy as a fighter pilot, and I just gotten orders to Top Gun. Couldn't have been more excited. And then the next weekend, I actually got hit with a softball in the eye and had some nerve damage. Now, six months later, I am out of the Navy. My entire identity was everything external, right? My title, what I did, that, that's who I was. And in this, there was a, a guy I met at a bookstore. He's become a lifelong friend. His name is Jeff. And he started mentoring me and discipling me and helped me kind of reconnect to a sense of purpose. But in that, he led me to my faith in Christ and everything changed overnight. Now, my wife was not interested in that at all. Like, you know, honey, come to church with me. Oh, pass. That's that's my day to sleep in. It was getting really frustrating. And all of our friends and relationships were still in the military. And she still wanted to go to the O Club. And she get back at, you know, 12, 1, 1 in the morning. And, you know, I was so livid one night at about 1 in the morning. And I called my friend Jeff. And I'm like, okay, when Donna gets home, I'm going to read her to the riot act. We got to get her fixed. We, you know, this is not okay. Man, I was just on a tear. And I'll never forget, Tim. Here's what Jeff said very calmly. He said, hey, buddy, you know what? God, uh, at the time I was 27, he said, God has loved you unconditionally for 27 years of your life. Everything that you've ever done, right? And he showed you grace in everything, in every season. And what if you just work on yourself and you become somebody so attractive to Donna that she wants to join you? And then just love her unconditionally during her journey. And I'm like, no, no, that cannot be the answer. in the morning and me to give her a hug and say, hey, hope you had a great night. When <laughs> everything in me is like, wants to just like, you know, go in military mode. And he goes, that's exactly what you should do. Yeah. And you know what? It was not easy, but. That's what we did with his coaching all the way through. And a year later, Tim, I want to share with you, Donna went forward and, and John Maxwell was our pastor at the time. He was with us before he jumped into everything he's doing now. He was a pastor at Skyline when I was laying and John baptized me mm. and my wife. And what I what God showed me in that is everything you're talking about. Actually, it's counterintuitive because it's not what the world teaches. But when we show up and we trust God and we show up with love and we give people grace because God is doing that to us every moment, 
right? It's amazing some of the outcomes that can happen in our life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and just think where you would be had you taken her head off when she came back from the officer's club that night and put her in her place instead of dealing with her the way God had dealt with you up to that point. And, and, well, and well, I think when, when, you know, when you're in that mode, it's hard to have a healthy relationship. Tim, I think if I'd done my, my uh, acted on my instincts, I don't, we've been, we're, we're celebrating our 33 wedding anniversary this, you know, coming up here in a few weeks. I highly doubt we'd be married if I had not absolutely. gone through a lot of changes myself in, in my, my faith journey, my personal journey. Sure. Right. All right, Michael, let's tell hear a little bit about you. And then we're going to dive into some how to bring what you guys are talking about into our lives. Yeah, so so my story, John, is is really a kind of a, oh, I guess, a tale of two cities, so to speak. There's a, a what I call a kind of a first half and a back half, right? The first half was uh, apart from from God. I had no relationship with Christ. Spent 13 years in the, the workplace uh, as a non-believer and just did what you're supposed to do, right? Got my MBA, uh, went to work for a Fortune 50 company, became a director at age 25, a VP at age 30. Was just climbing the corporate ladder and and kind of gathering up uh, the trappings of success, at least as as the world uh, defined them. And uh, and what I found, and, and you talked earlier about the tyranny of the day, is that that was what I found was as the jobs got uh, harder and harder, and there was more stress and more responsibility, higher expectations. I started jettisoning things that were important to me. You know, my my health, my friends, my wife. Uh, you know, we had uh, some you know young kids at the time. And what I found was in order for me to continue to get what I needed from my job, I had to give more and more of myself. And it, it culminated in 2004 with, you know, my wife and I kind of deep into counseling. She was a new believer, had come to Christ about a year before. And uh, she just said, you know what, Michael, I don't I don't love you. I don't even like you. She said, you're, you're never here. And when you are, you're just a jerk to me and just go. Let me raise our boys by myself. It'd be a whole lot easier than having you around. And so that was the moment when I, uh, you know, kind of fell out of bed, got on my knees and cried out to Christ and said, God, you've given me everything. I had this perfect life, as somebody had once pointed out to me. She said, you have the life of a king. And she was a believer and she was referring to the King Solomon. And she and, you know, I I realized in that moment, man, I squandered it and said, Christ, if you'll be the captain here, I'll I'll follow. But I, I got nothing. I can't fix this. This mess I've made. And so then that set on, you know, part two of my life, which was, you know, Christ at the center of it. That's when I met Kimmel. And so as he talked about this codified message of grace, um, that's when I started to learn like this head knowledge of who is God, what is his grace, put my faith in Christ, you know, in that, that moment about six months after meeting Tim. And then I started experiencing, you know, God's grace through God directly in terms of him picking me up, dusting me off. Uh, my wife given me a second chance and some good women came alongside her and said, hey, don't abandon this guy. Just pray for him and and just, um, you know, pray that God does a, a mighty work and, and heals your, your marriage and changes him. And he did. And so that's what then changed uh, as I reentered the workplace. Really a very different mindset, John. And that's what God laid on my heart was there, there is something that the world does to you when you chase after it in the workplace that is so destructive. But God has a, a very different a desire for you, a plan for you, an expectation of you in the workplace. And what I started to feel was kind of what, what you talk about there is that this better version of myself started to emerge. Uh, and I had more of an impact at work uh, to, on the people around me because it was no longer about me. It was about just bringing God's uh, grace to work. And, and it, what I experienced was something just radically different around me and in me. 
Uh, and so that's what we, we talk about in this book, John, is, is what is it like when you bring grace to work? Well, I love that. Michael, I want to point out something, a great learning point in what you shared. Your wife comes to you and shares this point of view, like, I'd rather do it alone. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that was very hard to receive. And we, in, in whether even it's it feedback where somebody comes up like on a 360 and says, you just come across arrogant or somebody you basically care about says, I don't want you around. How we respond to some of that feedback, I got to tell you, is, is a place where I have really had to lean into, you know, God's discernment, wisdom and love. Because think about it, our identity is right our self-identity is what we believe to be true about ourselves that does not mean that it's true i might have accepted things about me and here's what i found for myself when i get feedback or somebody says something that is out of alignment or um, not what i believe to be true or want to be true about myself it can sometimes be easy to just reject it and say no that's your problem honey uh-uh no that's your problem you know boss or coworker or whatever it is and, you know, uh, having the maturity, Michael, that you did to actually take that in and say, well, what if? And then that allows God to come in. But when I come in from a place of pride and saying, no, I will fix this or I am not that person. The other thing that I've had to learn about as I've gone through this process for myself is when I use the word I, I have to be really careful and use that as, you know, almost like a, a trigger to go and say, am I coming from a place of pride? Because you know what? I don't have the strength to change who I am to have an amazing marriage. But if I said, you know what? I want to have an amazing marriage. And Lord, I know you can help me. You can give me the strength. It is a total shift. And then for me, so I just wanted to highlight that, Michael. There's a lot of people that get in trouble because they, they don't want to listen. They don't want to process some of that feedback. That I think God is giving us through other people. Yeah. And Without that, you're, there's going to be no change. Can I weigh in on that too? I see three things that people in the marketplace uh, that are fairly successful uh, have going for them that is actually their biggest liability when it comes to really give, putting themselves in God's hands, and that is their their uh, their mind, their muscle, and their money. Because those three things give us a sense of self sufficiency. And if we're very smart and we're strong, and I'm not just talking about physically strong, but we have the strength of influence. It, a problem comes our way. We can pick up our cell phone and boom, 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 make some numbers. We can make some things happen very fast. And then we have the money to basically pay for solutions that breeds self-sufficiency. But unfortunately, self-sufficiency is the death knell to faith. It's the death knell to putting our, uh, our confidence where it belongs. Let me give you a great verse on this one. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. God speaks through Jeremiah the prophet. He says, thus says the Lord, let not, think of the three things I just said, by the way, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man's muscle uh, boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches or his money. He says, don't, don't boast. Look, he goes on to say, if you're going to boast in anything, boast in this, that you understand and know me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth, for these things I delight, declares the Lord. I think the problem that we tend to have, mm. uh, you know, when you look at Jesus looking at smart, 
strong, wealthy people. He said it's very difficult for them to get into heaven. He said that, but it's not because God has a problem with smart, strong, rich people. It's that they have a problem with him, and that problem is they don't need him. And so if we don't humble ourselves before God, he has no choice but to humiliate us sometimes to get us where we are. And that's exactly what he did with Michael. He said, Michael, you climbed that ladder of success all along with leaning against the wrong building. You have the priorities of a world that is bankrupt, as the, the drill instructor could say, can't find its own rear end with a GPS. And you put your faith and confidence in it, and it got you nowhere. You're losing your wonderful wife and your boys. Same thing with you. John, you know, he he puts you on a horse and takes that horse and smashes you into the ground. And says, I'm trying to get your attention. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, I, I didn't have any train wrecks or horse wrecks. But at the same time, I recognize what a fool I'm capable of being. But when we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I got nothing. I need you. I want you. Everything changes. Yeah, you know, as you shared the verse from Jeremiah, what was the specific verse again? In case somebody wants uh, Jer to look up? Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Okay, so Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. So, you know, as you were sharing that, I'm like, well, that's what led me to smoldering discontent. Huh. Early in my business career, it was like this first love all about the Father. And then I started having successes. I really had, was, had an immature faith. And then I, I basically go create a plan execute the plan, not have good results, and realize, ah, I thought things were supposed to be easier now that I'm a Christian. So I guess I have to work harder. And then I just started working harder. And then guess what happened is now when I got the results, I started giving myself the credit. It was like this slow fade over time. But I, I want to talk about something else, though, too, because, you know, it's pretty clear right now, and this, this was a stunning Study. You look at Americans relative to every other country, the level of workplace stress, the level of active disengagement is higher in this country when we have things better than anywhere else in the world by far. I mean, it's, it's, it's a meaningful difference. And there's so many things going on, negative work environment, things in our culture. But you guys said something that I thought was really powerful is, you know what? As believers, and we're, wherever we're working, right, whether it's a, a woke company or a ministry, and sometimes it, it just doesn't feel right, stop trying to model Jesus in the workplace. What, what you talk about is, hey, I should be following Christ in the workplace. And as soon as I read it, I'm like, you know what, that makes sense. Because as a coach, and I do a lot of work with high-performing executives, one of the biggest performance killers that exists is comparing myself. So if I'm trying to model Christ, I'm constantly comparing myself to maybe what he would do. And you know what? That's a pretty hard standard to do over and over and over. And then, you know what? I could see how the enemy could use that to say, you know what, John? Yeah, nice try. But you're not, you're just not good enough. Yep. You can't be that kind of father. You can't be that kind of leader or coworker. But following Jesus, all of a sudden there's a path of grace there in there. So I'd love for you guys to share about what that looks like and then how like tomorrow or today, whoever's listening to this, they would actually bring that in with a different uh, perspective into the work that they were doing just yesterday. Yeah, John, I think I'll, I know we both have a, a lot to say on that question. I think I'll, I'll approach it from a, let's say a, a marketplace leaders perspective, right? Since, since you kind of posed it that way. 
I think if you think about what is a marketplace leader trying ultimately to do, they're trying to bring out the best version of everybody on their staff. Right. Because if you can bring out the best version of everybody on your staff, ultimately, they're more successful at driving the results that you may, um, let's say, in an impure way, selfishly feel motivated. I have to drive results and it's up to me. And I think a lot of times we we default to our, our to Tim's point, our own strength, our own charisma, our own uh, intelligence and intellect. Right. And we think that we can manufacture these results if we just push hard enough and work long enough hours and and that was kind of my story was became more of that that workaholic right and at some point there's a lid on what kind of results you can drive on your own strength because the organization becomes too big there's too many people they don't respond the way you want or whatever it may be but if you think about our relationship with Christ he's doing the same thing with us that ultimately we want to do with others which is he's bringing out the best version of us and if you look at how is he dealing with us He's not strong arming us. He's not trying to use his charisma to force us to do what he wants or to manipulate us into doing, right? He, he's using his grace in terms of how he deals with us. And how does he see us, right? He sees us as righteous. And what does he offer? He offers forgiveness and mercy and kindness and, and this, this, this grace. And Tim has done a wonderful job of unpacking what, what is that model? How does God deal with us? But at the end of the day, as a leader in the marketplace, if we can deal with others the way God deals with us, and that's really the punchline of this book, right? What happens is we bring out the best in everyone around us. And then as a leader, right, I'm ultimately driving the results that I want to, but I'm in, I'm doing it in a way that's consistent with my faith. I'm doing it in a way that's consistent, that, that helps people experience that Christ that got a hold of us when he did and dealt with us the way that he does and brings out the best in us as he does. And if we do that, right, then then ultimately that starts to bring out the best in everybody. It raises the stock value of our company, let's say figuratively and potentially literally. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, we God talks about that, you know, come to me and and all you who are, are tired and weary and like my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I think that's what what I experienced as an executive going from a, a non-believer stance trying to drive and manufacture results on my own strength to going in as a believer saying, no, if I deal with others the way Christ deals with me, they're going to become the better versions of themselves. We're going to drive the results as a team that we need to, that our shareholders are asking, that our leadership is requiring fairly of us. And at the end of the day, that gives me a greater sense of purpose in my work because I'm seeing the people around me flourish and thrive, and they're doing it under the power of God's grace. Whether they know it or not, I know now, it. Now, Michael, that's a big shift. Mm -hmm. uh, to go from being the man, the driver, right, command control, to truly, you know, leading from a, a completely different way. You know, what did you find about yourself in making that that shift? Well, what I found in myself, right, so when God picked me up, what I realized there was um, my strength wasn't enough. And I was exhausted from trying to manage that facade that I had built right? That perfectly coiffed executive and, you know, a young up and comer, a climber or whatever. And I realized that's exhausting. And the outcome of that personally was a mess. So part of what I realized was, let's just try it this other way. And what I found was I was a better version of myself, you know, because one of my wife's fair criticisms was as, as I climbed the ladder, I became more arrogant, I became more distant. I was never in the moment with people around me. I was all, my mind was always distracted. I was always arrogant and prideful. 
um, think it was about me and what was I getting from life and how did people see me? And so there was this big shift of, you know, God humbled me and we went there the hard way. But when I realized, okay, I, I can do this in, in from a position of weakness, when I have a right understanding of God and a right understanding of myself, and I see that chasm, it puts me in a position where instead of saying, okay, when on my drive into work, it used to be, here's what I'm going to drive today. Here's what I'm going to do with my team today. To now it's, hey, God, I'm not sure how we're going to get this done. I need you to show up. I need your wisdom. I need your discernment. Um, I need to show up with you. And so will you join me in going into work? And so it was much more of a, I had a partner in my work. Um, I had much more of a humble stance, but I had more power because I was doing it with the, the you know, the, the power of God with me uh, and through me. And so what I realized was I was much better to be around. A better version of everyone else around me was coming out. Uh, the, the, the employee engagement scores were going up. The satisfaction scores were going up. Retention rates were going up. And that was because it was just a better environment in which to work. But it, but it flowed from my relationship with Christ and a humility that came along with it. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's probably the, the most um, profound thing that I learned, John, from my, my demise. Now, when you guys, now, Tim, this has been part of your vision, your passion to put together a framework, right? right to, that allows this, you know, facilitates what, what Michael has shared, kind of what I have shared. And could you share a little bit about, you know, what uh, I think really what is in the book? Because sure. who here listening to this doesn't go, man, that's what I want. How, like, I don't even know what it looks like to trust God. <laughs> whether it's a disciplinary action with an employee or, you know, to signing a new lease to I had a bad day and how do I go home and shift my mindset and treat my wife like she's the most loved person in the world. All these things are not easy, no, 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 um, not. but, but they can be easier, right? Yeah. As I was thinking, as you guys were talking, I'm thinking about the people listening. Mm -hmm. And I think your podcast speaks a lot to leaders out there in the marketplace. You have a lot of, but there's different styles of leaders, right? And uh, your military background, you're probably, you you were surrounded by people and you might even be one yourself that tend to lead from the front. You step up front, say, here's our plan. Let's go for it. Um, I'm more of a, a type, type of leader that leads from the middle, but when all hell breaks loose, I can slip up front and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And, and there's all kinds of different ways, but but if I could see if those were diffs kind of parallel or, or they, those are kind of uh, standing side by side, those different styles of leadership, there's some dynamics that need to run through all of them, no matter what, how you're wired. And, uh, you know, uh, John 1, 14 tells us what those are. It just says Jesus was filled with grace and truth. And it wasn't 50-50. You know, it was 100-100. And so no matter what style we are, whether from the front or the middle, we want to have grace and, and truth. We want to be guided by God's truth, all the while tempered by grace. And, and this brings up a, a very important starting point for my answer, and that is, is that what are we ultimately supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be loving the people we work with and for. We're supposed to be loving them. And now, can I add something there, right? We need to love them even if they don't share our values, even exactly. if they don't share our core beliefs or our faith, exactly. because that's yeah. what Christ did. Exactly. And I often ask, like when I do leadership work with a team, if I'm speaking, you know, I talk about, hey, what happens if you say these are my core beliefs, but then you act 
contrary to those, right? You lose all credibility. But then the second question is, how do you do working with somebody sitting across from you at work who doesn't share your core beliefs? And that's where sometimes people stumble, but that is where grace comes in and connects, you know, the, you know everybody who's working together. Well, actually, I, I think that we're living in a post-Christian era where the standard core beliefs, you know, when I was a kid, we I had a, a, a Catholic family lived across the street. We had a Jewish family living the other uh, uh, diagonally, and and we had several what would be considered non-church, atheistic type of families around. But we all shared the same moral values. Mm-hmm. We all did. That's not the way it is now. That's true. And so you come, but but what I get excited about the way it is now is the way it was that first church that that initial church had in the first two centuries, when when the gospel came, you had the Roman Empire that was very hostile to the values that we're talking about, and most people were slaves. Women had no rights. The infirmed or the fragile were left behind, and then in the middle of this came the gospel. And what was interesting is the gospel flourished like mad in those first two centuries. In fact, it's the fastest the church grew, and it didn't even have a Bible yet. It didn't have—churches didn't have addresses. There were no seminaries. There were no Christian podcasts. And yet it grew—why? Because they were bringing this love center stage to a very hostile world, and that that world desperately needed it, and they resonated with it. So what we do in the book is we 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 show in the in the middle part of the book after we've kind of described why we need this so desperately and what we're up against, we show that God's grace comes at us at four dimensions, in very specific ways on a day to day basis. One way is he uses his words and his actions to consistently appeal to one or more of our three driving core needs, and we explain what those are. And then the second thing is he sets our hearts free. He gives us four amazing freedoms that absolutely bring the best out of us, and when we bring those to work with us, we do the same for the people around us. The third thing is he helps us build six real strong core muscles character muscles that give us more resiliency to work with those people that are hostile, to work with those people that are indifferent and all, and continue to love them. And then the fourth way that his grace plays out in our life is the trajectory of our life, what we're aiming our life at, or more specifically, who we're aiming our life at. And when we have uh, what God's view of greatness is in our mind, instead of the world's view of success, everything changes. We unpack specifically what that looks like, how to make that second nature to you by letting Jesus get in his rightful place in your life, which is called the driver's seat. And then and then he just comes through us and changes everything. I love that. Um, and it's so needed right now. And a perfect time of the year is we're kind of, you know, either things are crazy and hectic, uh, but we also have a little bit of downtime to read a book like this. And I got to tell you, if you have a an organization where you can with your team. This is exactly the kind of book to I, I read as a team and talk about. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a traditional kind of secular company, read through this and to say, I got to tell you a question I get a lot, guys, mm-hmm. as well as a believer in today's world, like how do I actually follow Christ in the marketplace without getting canceled or sued? Mm-hmm. And you know what? Everything you're talking about, when you show up with love, you show up with humility. You're showing up uh, in every situation from a place of pre-forgiveness, and you are working on you, I'll guarantee you, you will absolutely differentiate yourself in any organization without ever saying the name Jesus. And then I, you know what I know is going to happen? 
somebody's going to go, hey, Michael, what is going on in your world? Because, dude, like, like you are crushing it and something's changed. And I've had that happen. I'm sure you have, too. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, listen, you know, it's really personal. It's really private. It's really about a faith journey I've been on. Is it okay to share? And I have found every time I frame it that way and ask permission, regardless of anybody who's asked me, and trust me, people who you not think, you know, people you think that as soon as you did it would go give you an HR complaint. Right, right. It is 100% of the time for me personally, been an amazing experience that God used. So, well, exactly, because... Yep, yeah, because you come at it from a position of credibility, right? If you if you deal with people in in such a way that they know you care, they know you love them, they know you're not judgmental, you know, jamming some you know church doctrine down their throats, but you actually meet them, you bring out the best version of them. You're you're a safe place, as I describe it. A, a, I want to be a safe place for you to have a dangerous conversation, mm. and so people realize, hey, this guy loves me. This guy is others focused. This guy brings out the best in me. So then, when you you have that conversation, of course they want to hear what you have to say because you've proven yourself, right? And you've done it with the right motives. There, you know, there's a lot of people that have you know truly been wounded, deeply wounded by people calling themselves Christians. Sure. And the beautiful thing I love is when you show up, like you guys are talking about what you wrote in your book and how to, how to get there, you can be the person representing Christ authentically in a way that heals those wounds that somebody else who probably didn't know Jesus, but said they did uh, created. I I don't want to sound like I'm judging, but I'm just telling you, I've seen a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I love when God creates those conversations to heal uh, a wound that shouldn't ever happen, especially in a workplace, because, you know, you spend so much time with people. But with that, guys, how do people connect with you, find you, find the book? You, uh, I love the work that you're doing. So I want to be able to share that. Well, if you want to get a copy of this book, uh, two options. Uh, you can go to graceatworkbook.com and you can order it there or you can go to Amazon. And uh, there's a Kindle version there, audio versions, all those things are available there. But graceatwork.com. And what's interesting is that this is, I've I've written several books. This is the first time I've seen books going out by the case because it's it's what you're talking about. Somebody reads this and says, I want all my leadership to read this. I want my team to read this uh, because it gives them a common language for how we want to create a a culture, create an atmosphere of grace in our workplace. And in the bottom line is highly affected. And the bottom line is very important in business. Uh, You know, greater job satisfaction, customers are better, better off. And even, you know, you could, your, your finances, I think have a a much better chance of thriving in a situation like this. So grace at work book.com or Amazon. All right. So guys do that. And also you guys have a podcast, right? Grace-Based Families Podcast. Right. And you have an incredible website that I love because especially today with our younger generation, we've put in a lot of work. My three boys are probably some of my best friends. They're 25, 23, and 19 now. But having mentors and people speaking into my life during this entire journey is how I got there. It's not something you can do alone. But the website is Grace-Based Families dot com. So Dr. Tim Kimmel, Michael Tooker with two O's, T-O-O-K-E-R. And uh, Michael, if you were a fighter pilot in my squadron, I'd love to figure out what call sign we'd uh, come up with for you. Yeah, <laughs> very creative. 
So with that, guys, as we just wrap up, uh, let's start with uh, Michael and then Tim. Just just mm-hmm. a kind of final thought here as we kind of land the plane, so to speak. Michael? Yeah, I think my my, my final thought here is, and, and we, we make this point in the book, is, you know, what, what I want for your listeners, John, is for them to come to know Christ and have a genuine, authentic relationship where they understand how he deals with them. Because so many people, and you touched on this, they don't have a right understanding of who Christ is and how he deals with us. And so that's a game changer. You know, if you're going to do one thing, pick up this book and study it from the perspective of who is Christ? How does he deal with me? And if I can learn that, then that can be what flows from me onto the people that uh, that I work with uh, at work. But just, I saw it firsthand. He picked me up from a, a fiery crash dusted me off, put me on a new path. And, uh, you know, Psalm 40, he, you know, he put me on, uh, on solid ground and, and, and gave me a new song in my heart. And that's what I want for your listeners, John, is to know the Lord and how he deals with us. Cause it's a game changer. Beautiful. Dr. Kimmel. Yes. I think it'd be fair for a listener to say, this sounds like a lot of work. And I would say, uh, you're right. Uh, there, there's a deliberateness about Taking God's heart to work with you, there's no doubt about that. And but I want to I want to say something very clearly to every listener. What we're talking about takes effort, but there's something that's far more difficult and a lot harder. And that is if you don't do what we're talking about, because you will find that the consequences of us not uh, taking Jesus to work with us and following Him uh, just pour back on us uh, so much stuff that we we would rather not have. But this book is your chance to take Jesus to work with you, and everybody benefits. And the person I think that gets the most out of this will be you. Yeah, and I was thinking, not only does it show you how to take Jesus to work with you, but it also shows you that path to authentically have Jesus work in you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Through right? you. I, right. I love that. And I, you know, I'm thinking, guys, right? You know, I love this saying, right? Change does not occur until the pain of change exceeds the pain of staying the same. Mm-hmm. Think about that because there has to be an impetus to change. And in 11 years ago, when I had my accident, smoldering discontent, my marriage was uh, a, a smoking ruin about to get divorced. I didn't come home at night many times because I created such a negative environment. I knew the welcome I was going to get from my wife. So I'd rather go to a social event or find a nonprofit event to go to and come home late so I could just go to bed. That is not living. But everything Mm -hmm. external, everything the world said is, right, what they said, you know what, you've made it. I I had all that. And I was miserable. And uh, I love that you ended on that, Tim, because what if seven years from now, just think, take your age right now. At seven years, and what if you take all the stress and anxiety and discontent and frustration that you have and you just amplify it? Do you want to be there? Because that's where I got to. Where you'll end or do you up? want to be a place where you wake up in the morning and you're filled with hope and you're operating from a place of joy regardless of external circumstances? Because that is also something I've found, and that is one of the most beautiful gifts the Lord has ever given me. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, praise yeah. God. That's great. All right, guys, keep knocking them alive out there. Uh, Folks, get this book, read it with your teams, read it with your wife. I'm telling you, read it with your husband, 
right? Sorry, I was accused the other day of being cisgendered. I had to look up what cisgendered is, Tim. I didn't know what it meant. So I apologize, people. But uh, all right, my friends, keep, keep rocking. Talk to you soon.